I want to explore asset classes outside of multifamily. Once I made that decision, I was okay, how can I learn to operate? Because there's a certain degree of complexity on top of multifamily. We all sort of understand multifamily. We've all lived in homes or lived in apartments. The numbers make sense. It's a lot easier to understand. Leases are straightforward. When it comes to retail and industrial, things get a bit more complex. And I really wanted to learn how these operate. And they also tend to be more expensive asset classes. So I was like, okay, if I'm going to explore those properties, I really need to be ready to put my money where my mouth is. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will teach you how to build wealth with real estate without buying yourself another job. I'm your host, Taylor Lotes, and today our guest is Matthew Massoud. Matthew is a midterm rental investor who, over the course of three years, built a substantial midterm rental portfolio of 34 units. The portfolio is cash flowing well. He's doing great things, but he decided it is not leading him to the life that he wants. So he is stepping back from the midterm rental game and refocusing on other assets. And today you're going to learn why. Why he would pivot from a cash flowing strategy into other types of real estate investing, specifically because those other assets will create the lifestyle that he wants to live. We get into the strengths and weaknesses of midterm rentals and specifically why those weaknesses are driving him into other asset classes. He's a young guy who accomplished a lot of very big things in a short amount of time in real estate and I believe has a lot of great things ahead of him. Fantastic podcast guest. He's going to teach you so much about the midterm rental space, how to get started when you're a young investor, not really sure exactly what to do, but ready to take action. Then once you get some experience under your belt, how to step back, reassess your strategy, reassess your portfolio, and head in another direction if that direction is going to create the life that you want. Great interview. You're going to learn so much about the midterm rental strategy, about building a portfolio that supports the life that you want to live, and so much more. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lotes. I'm a real estate investor. I focus on multifamily and self-storage investing. To date, I've acquired, partnered on, or had a hand in over $250 million of commercial real estate acquisitions. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us in the future, just go to investwithtaylor.com or click the link in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every weekday. Once again, our guest today is Matthew Massoud. Let's go. Matthew, thank you so much for joining us today. You are a guy who's accomplished a lot of things in real estate in a relatively short period of time. Tell us about your portfolio today, and then we'll get into how you built it up. Absolutely. So we're currently at 34 units, half of which are midterm rentals and the other half are long-term rentals transitioning to, to midterm. Great. So could you define for us a midterm rental, at least in your business? Yeah. So a midterm rental is any unit which is occupied for zero to six months, typically on a lease. And it's, yeah, it's essentially somebody comes in, they're in town for a specific purpose for a certain period of time, two months, three months, six months, and then they come and stay in our units. Do you offer them furnished? Yes. Think of it as an extended stay hotel in apartments. Great. So typically that business model is focused on a minimum of 30 days. I would guess that's mm -hmm. what you're doing. Yeah, we do fill our gaps in between medium-term stays with short-term stays. We're not opposed to it. But yeah, our average stay is almost three months. 
And you built up that portfolio in a pretty quick span. Tell us how you got started, how you burned the ships, if you will, a few years ago and built up the portfolio. Yeah. So I'm in Orange County, Los Angeles area, right on the border there. And I'm working as an engineer. And it wasn't what I expected graduation to be. It wasn't what I expected life to be out there. So I was looking for a a route to freedom, a bridge to freedom. And I was researching. I tried everything. I tried drop shipping. I tried literally everything you can think of. I've tried it. And I realized that real estate was the way, you know, there was the cash flow, there was the debt pay down. Like it just made sense that real estate was the bridge that was going to take me towards freedom. So I started shopping around. I started looking around in Los Angeles, Orange County, San Bernardino, and I could not afford anything. Things out there are trading at 150, 250,000 a unit. And it was way out of my budget. I was a 22, 23 year old kid that just graduated from college. So I looked around the country on where I wanted to invest. My sister is out here in Ohio. So I was looking around, you know, where she lived. And I saw that the Cincinnati Dayton area was a market in which I could actually afford to buy rental property. Plus, I did do some schooling at the University of Cincinnati. So I was vaguely familiar with the area. So uh, I found a triplex out there for $100,000. You can imagine what, what this triplex looked like. And uh, yeah, I got the triplex under contract. And two, three weeks before we closed, I booked a ticket, one-way ticket out here. Stayed with my sister till we closed. And then I moved into the unit. I moved into one of the units and rented the, the other two out. Wow. So what were the terms of your financing? On that property is a pretty cheap property, but still a bank's, yeah. you know, going to want you to have income, that kind of a thing. Did you yeah. leave your job and what did the bank think about that? How did you put that all together? Yeah. So this first deal was FHA financing. So I only had to put three and a half percent down. The bank was a little suspicious of the fact that I'm going to, you know, be living in it, but I'm, I live 2000 miles away. Uh, luckily at the time we, we were in a hybrid situation. So the bank was, let me check that box. I did leave my job because my job, you know, I had to be there. It's not, it wasn't a remote position, but the bank did allow me to, once I closed the bank, you know, it's the bank's not checking for a job once you close, but they, you have to have the job in order to get the finance. So the other two units were covering the mortgage and then some, so I was living for free and getting a little bit of cash flow, And then I was slowly repairing the units and repairing the building myself very poorly, but I was doing, you know, watching a lot of YouTube videos. I didn't know what I was doing, but I did my best just trying to to get the building in good shape because my plan was to exit. It's always purchase and exit, purchase and exit. It was not in a good neighborhood. I was not familiar with the area. So I did end up buying it. It was the ghetto. It wasn't a safe area. So my goal was to move into into nicer, nicer neighborhoods and accelerate. I knew I needed to to hit the gas button and move forward. So how did you move forward into subsequent acquisitions? Did you turn that property into a medium-term rental? How did you really not get stuck at that first deal and continue pushing forward? Yeah, so the key is buying right. I realized that you make your money on the buy. So that property was actually worth approximately 120. I purchased it for 100. We're actually under contract at 120, but after the inspection, I was able to negotiate down to 100,000. And then I purchased the property, the tenants that were in place, they were paying low rent. They were not good on the property. They were not the tenants that were, that were going to make the building valued more. So I helped, I helped those tenants find another place to live. I fixed up the units to the best of my ability. 
I got a market rent in there. And within, it was a little under nine months, I got that building. I sold that building for 190000 So that, and then I took that 90000 and that's when I was able to really start accelerating to start purchasing more. And that was all long-term. There was no medium-term till this point. Okay, okay. So at what point did you start adding the medium-term rentals? Yeah, so I took that 90000 and I used that to buy multiple properties in Ohio. And I had a unit go vacant. I did an eviction. I had the unit go vacant. I was renovating the unit. And I had a, I was talking with a buddy of mine. He's like, why don't you rent it out on Airbnb? I'm like, who's going on vacation today in Ohio? And then he's like, just give it a shot. You'd be surprised. You know, everyone's saying that. So there probably isn't any inventory. And then he's like, worst case scenario, you donate the furniture to the church and no harm, no fast. I was like, all right. We finished the renovation and instead of renting it out long-term, I furnished it thinking it was going to be like a short-term Airbnb. My first reservation on Airbnb was three and a half nights. It was a traveling nurse in the area that there are major hospitals in Dayton because it's the middle point between Cincinnati and Columbus. Now, I, I never thought about the fact that they would be nurses. I thought it would just be, you know, short-term, regular short-term rental. And the first day was three and a half months. And then a month into that stay, another one got tacked on to the end. That was another three months. And you'll see, you'll notice I say three months a lot because the, the nurse contracts tend to be three months. The construction companies, they also tend to travel to a place for three to four months. Insurance claims tend to be three to four months. And those are typically our, our clientele. So once I realized the need in Dayton, and I would talk with these nurses and they'd say, I've been looking for housing for a month and I, my contract was coming up and I was getting nervous because I wasn't going to have a place to stay. And then I realized that there's a strong demand in Dayton for midterm rentals. So now at this point, I had had about 15, 17 units. Part of that was me taking that 90 grand I got from the first property and pushing that forward, using it as down payments. I also started partnering with my parents and my brother-in-law. And I would tell them the plan and they'd be like, okay, if you find a good deal, let us know and we'll help you fund the down payment and the renovation costs. So that really started to accelerate things. And then once we realized the midterm strategy, we're like, all right, as soon as leases are up, we help relocate the tenants. And now we're going full medium term. And that's what we've been doing for the past 12, 16 months is we've been taking the long-term tenants, furnishing them, and then getting units in there. But now we're operating, we're essentially operating a hotel. So we really had to scale the operation side with it as well. And that's really what we've been dealing with now, scaling the operations along with the, uh, with the acquisition. So we originally connected for the benefit of the listeners because I saw a post you made on the Bigger Pockets forums where I'm pretty active, and you were talking about why you're getting out of the midterm yes. rental space and focusing more on longer term apartment investments, that kind of thing. Why make such a shift if the midterm rentals were working out? Yeah. So the cash flow for the midterm rentals, it's great. We're seeing about twice as much cash flow as the long-term rentals but it's very operations intensive. Even with having a full-time property manager, which we're in the process of hiring and training, it's very management intensive. You have to manage the manager. It's as if you're managing a hotel. So my goal has always been to be on more of a passive side. I, I like real estate. I love real estate, but I want to be able to travel. Like right now, I am currently in Dayton, Ohio, and I want to be able to, to move to go other places. But because of the operational intensity of midterm rentals. Like, let me give you an example. I was in California, back where my, my family is, back where home is. 
visiting the family. And I had a guest call me. This was before we had the, the property manager. He was calling me because the door lock pad was out of battery. So this was something that I had to deal with from across the country. I had to call my contractor to go change batteries. And he charged me, I don't know, a hundred plus dollars because, you know, that's not the business he's in to go change batteries. So as we're looking at scaling, whether or not we're going to exit our current portfolio, we haven't decided yet. But as far as future acquisitions, we're looking at traditional commercial properties. We're looking at traditional multifamily where we get a, you know, there's in-place property management that already exists. There is no midterm property management right now. It, it doesn't exist. So we have to create it. But for traditional long-term, property management exists. We're also looking at retail. We're looking at industrial. As we're scaling, we're trying to decide, okay, what asset class are we going to really grow in? Are we really going to pick up units? As we decide to start raising money to continue growing even faster, we're thinking, okay, what, what do I want my life to look like when I'm 30, when I'm 35? Is it managing hotel-style apartments or is it retail or is it industrial? But I don't see myself managing two, three, four, five hundred unit midterm rentals. I see myself doing, you know, having retail or having industrial in multiple places around the country. Dayton is also not a growth market. The castle here is is crazy. But what is the 10-year outlook look of Dayton? Population increase isn't here. The the GDP increase isn't here. The metrics that you typically use to track what assets you want to get your hands on. So in order to move to those better markets, would midterm rental work? Yes, but it's about pairing the lifestyle I want with the asset class. Great logic. I appreciate you going through that. A concern of mine in the short-term rental and midterm rental space that I'm pretty vocal about is the regulatory risk. It sounds like if I'm reading between the lines, you have not run into a lot of issues with the local municipality in Dayton kind of cracking down on shorter term rentals that are under a year long lease. Is that right? You have not had those type of issues? Yes. Luckily, those types of, of stringent regulation are typically in larger cities where there's been a huge influx. So we haven't had any issues with it. But that brings me to a very important point. Before we purchase any multifamily asset and operate it as a midterm, the numbers must work as a long-term rental first. Yeah, so we run underwriting as a long-term rental. If the underwriting doesn't pencil out, we move on. If the underwriting pencils out as a long-term rental, then we run the numbers short-term or medium-term. And if the numbers work long-term, they usually kill medium-term. So there's been a lot of conversation recently in the real estate investing space and, and more specifically talking about the quote-unquote short-term rental bust. I know you're a midterm rental guy, but I would imagine this could extend over to midterm rentals as well. We're getting into these recessionary conditions, interest rates are higher, and particularly in your case where traveling nurses were a big part of your clientele at the beginning, you know, COVID's been over for a little while now, so I'd imagine mm -hmm. travel nursing's down quite a bit. Have you seen an impact on leasing from the midterm rentals as well as the economy has kind of shifted or has that remained strong? Yeah, well, luckily the dating market was so in need for the product that we offered. We've always had a strong occupancy over 90% on midterm. So we've always had a strong occupancy. As far as the short-term rental bust, there is 
it's a simple supply and demand. So they, you have some markets where it's just the amount of short-term rentals has exploded. You know, Florida being the most most common market where you just have thousands of people moving there, buying a, a single family home and just putting it on Airbnb. And for a while, anyone could purchase almost anything and really make money out there. So that caused, you know, an oversupply, which we're seeing now. So we're seeing people's occupancy rates drop and combine that with regulation. Now, regulation is a big, big problem for midterm rentals. Why? Because most regulation says you must rent for 30 days or more. So all these short-term rental operators become midterm rental operators. And that saturates the midterm market. The midterm market is not nearly as big as the short-term market. So we're seeing people that were operating midterm rentals in an area where short-term rentals got regulated. And now they're way oversaturated in the midterm rentals as well. So if you're interested in getting into the short-term rental or midterm rental space, you got to be careful of regulation, specifically if even if it's 30 day or more regulation, which is the most common type of regu of regulation, it'll oversaturate from all the short term people going medium term. Absolutely. And in my hometown of Richmond, Virginia, the regulations in the city in particular for I believe is anything under a year long lease requires the property owner to live at the property 185 days or more out of the year and to be present when a tenant is there in the short-term rental, which makes it yeah. basically impossible to run a business yep. around that model, which I yeah. think that's, that's the idea. So as you make this pivot into longer-term investments or looking at other asset classes, you mentioned going to other markets or, or diversifying beyond the Dayton, Ohio area. A lot of times we'll call markets like that where there's not a lot of like inflow, a lot, not a lot of growth of GDP, equity traps, right? You get your equity in there, it doesn't appreciate, you're, you're kind of stuck a little bit. How are you approaching the move to another area, looking for another market? What's your thought process there and what steps have you made? Yeah, so the first step is to identify the market you're looking for. And I've been studying the different metrics that you want to use to identify those markets. The big two are population growth and GDP growth. And I'm looking for areas where money is moving into. So those are, I mean, rich Virginia is a, is a great market. You have the, the North Carolinas, you have Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill. I'm looking at a lot of cities in Texas and Florida. And I do most of my acquisitions off market. So what I do is I do direct outreach to multifamily owners. Most of my portfolio right now has been contacting the, the owner directly and saying, I'd like to purchase your property because that, that helps me get it decreases competition and helps me buy right. When you're on the market, especially back in 2020, 2021, it was very, very difficult with 10, 12, 15 offers per property. And I was, I was really struggling to competing with, with firms and, and people that were 10, 20, 50K above asking. So that's when I started looking to off-market properties. So what I started doing in these markets, now that we're, we're ready to start expanding, is I started looking at, okay, what is the market? Narrowed it down to three to five markets. And now who are the property owners in these markets for the asset classes I want? I can create a very tight search. For example, when I was buying the multifamily here in Dayton, I want five to 20 units. I want built after 1970. I want in these specific neighborhoods. So it's, you know, B-class neighborhoods. So I'm able to create that criteria get a list of 100 properties and then 
through the county's website, be able to find out who the owner is, send them letters, give them calls, whatever it takes. The other option is stuff that's on market. What I'll do is I'll underwrite it. Typically stuff on market, it's priced higher than it should be. So what, what I'll do is I'll underwrite it and see what's a fair price for this property. What am I willing to pay? Because the asking price to me is just a suggestion. It's what the buyer wants. It's where the buyer wants to start the conversation. So I'll underwrite it and see what's a fair price for the property. And then I'll send in an offer for that. Sometimes the buyer will tell me, you know, go to hell. Sometimes the buyer will tell me they'll meet me in the middle. They'll try to continue the conversation. But yeah, ever since the pandemic hit, which is when I got started, the prices have been ridiculous. They're slowly starting to taper off, but it's still priced pretty high and inventory is still really, really low. So it's, it's identifying those markets and then start hitting the pavement with the off market until you get that, that deal. And the great thing is, is I don't have to be there. I can find a deal in Virginia and find another deal in Florida and go after both of them. But right now, I can't go after a midterm deal in, in Florida because of the operational necessities. So I'm glad that you mentioned being there and where you're located versus where you're investing. You're obviously a much more experienced, much more savvy real estate investor now than when you got started. You relocated originally from California to Ohio. As you make this shift into longer-term properties, buying bigger real estate in other markets, would you plan on relocating to other areas, or do you intend to do this new investment model from Ohio or maybe move back to California? Is this more conducive to a remote real estate investing strategy, or will you move to another market to get these deals done? Yeah, well, eventually, at the beginning, I do plan on moving to the asset, to the market in which I purchased the asset. Mostly because, you know, building up a team. So if I'm going to purchase something in, let's say, for example, I've really been looking heavily at the, the Raleigh, North Carolina market. So let's say I purchased an asset there, multifamily asset, 200 units, for example. I'd move out there, find the property manager, find a good, you know, agent out there, build my team out there, my core team. And then after that, I'll have the location freedom that, that I need. So the goal, especially if I'm switching asset classes, if I'm going into industrial, going into retail. These are going to be my first times purchasing these assets, even though I'm doing it on the side as a broker right now to learn the asset class. I got my real estate license as a commercial broker, and now I'm doing retail leases as a way to learn the retail asset class before I start purchasing retail assets myself. That's awesome. So how long ago did you get that license? And was that specifically the goal of getting a license to learn how the space works? Yeah, I got my license three weeks ago which nice. is around the time I decided that I, I want to explore asset classes outside of multifamily. Once I made that decision, I was, okay, how can I learn to operate? Because there's a certain degree of complexity on top of multifamily. We all sort of understand multifamily. We've all lived in homes or lived in apartments. The numbers make sense. It's a lot easier to understand. Leases are straightforward. When it comes to retail and industrial, things get a bit more complex. And I really wanted to learn how these operate. And there also tend to be more expensive asset classes. So I was like, okay, if I'm going to explore those properties, I really need to be ready to put my money where my mouth is. And I really need to, and if I'm going to be raising money, then I really need to be prepared. And there's no better way to do that than write those leases myself for other investors that own property in the Dayton market. So I'm using this as my training wheels so that I'll be able to identify a good asset class 
because I'll have the experience without necessarily going out and taking the risk and gaining the experience without, you know, going out and purchasing the asset class. Gaining that experience without the risk and while getting paid for the uh, brokerage right. services. So that's a great yeah. way to approach learning that business. Glad you came on the show today. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Matthew, I've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. Awesome. First one, what is your number one book recommendation? Absolutely. So Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. It's a heavy read, but if you get to the idea that like what you think, what you constantly obsess over will affect your actions and your actions ultimately will affect your results. I love that. Classic book, very popular amongst successful real estate investors and success leaves clues. So something for the listeners to take away. So we had number one. Now we go to number two. Who inspires you? Yeah. So he's a famous YouTuber. His name's Manny Coachman. He's a YouTuber out there that I've been, I've been modeling over. We have a very similar story. He came over. He was a bit older than I was. We came from Egypt when I was two years old. He was, he was 14, I believe, or 13. And just, you know, the road of going through, you know, poverty and doing your, doing everything you can to get out of there, living a different life from where your parents came from. It was really inspiring for me, like what someone can be capable of, what an immigrant can be capable of with the opportunities this country provides. I love that. That's great. Question number three, my favorite one here at the end of the show. Think about 80-year-old you. What advice does he have for you of today at 25 years old? Positive or negative, what feedback would he give you? Absolutely. Just, just keep moving. Just keep you know, driving forward. Be patient on the macro, but impatient on the micro. So keep moving towards your goals, but understand that it's not the end. If a deal falls through, it's not the end of the world. Don't be too hard on yourself, but keep pushing forward. Patience on the macro, impatient on the micro. Nice. I like that. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. If folks want to reach out and get in touch, where can they track you down? Absolutely. So you can find me on, on Bigger Pockets, Matthew Masood. I'm also on Instagram. I'm not very active there, but you can also catch me on Instagram, Matthew M. Masood on Instagram. But yeah, I'm definitely around. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm excited to watch your progress as you continue to grow. I have a great plan there. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate that so much. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every weekday right now. I hope you have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.